Lord, I'm so grateful to be here. God's so grateful to have an opportunity to talk from your word about manhood. But Lord, we beg you today. God, we don't need another event. Lord, we don't need another date on the calendar to talk about platitudes, good quotes, Father, inspiring stories about manhood. God, we need to believe, Lord, that you have given us clearly from your word. God, pictures, commands, instructions, God, for what we should be and what we should do and how we should live as men. Father, we are living in a day, God, where these things are frowned upon. God, these things are being rejected. Lord, there's a cost, Father, to embrace biblical manhood in a way that glorifies you. Father, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in a powerful way. Lord, that you would grab our hearts and our attention. Father, where we hear your spirit telling us today through your word, God, we need to repent. God, some area of disobedience, some area of omission, some area of neglect. God, we would do that. Lord, this wouldn't be a day to recommit. God, this would be a day to repent. Lord, where we are not where we need to be. Father, it would also be a day, Lord, where we recognize who we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we are accepted by you. We are approved by you. And God, we are adopted by you in Christ Jesus. Our worth and value are secure today because of who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross. There is an empty tomb and an occupied throne. And Lord, that gives us incredible hope as men. So Lord, we can repent, Lord, where we have uh, neglected things, omitted things. God, whatever it may be that your spirit convicts us of. And Lord, we can embrace, God, the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we can walk out of here, Lord, today, recognizing we have all we need to walk in obedience to you. So, Father, would you do that today? And God, would we respond today? And Lord, would you be glorified today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. An axiom is a statement or a proposition that is regarded as being established, accepted, or being true. So that's the word axiom. So I want to give you five axioms from David's charge to Solomon. So in this text, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1-12, through 12, it's the end of David's life. So David's kingdom's coming to an end, and he is uh, passing on his rule and reign to Solomon, his son, and we see that played out in this text, and let's read it together. Chapter 2, verse 1. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, As for me, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man. And keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will fulfill His promises that He made to me. If your sons are their way to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Verse 5. You also know what Joab, son of Zerah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jacob. He murdered them in a time of peace to avenge bloodshed and war. He spilled that blood on his own waistband and on the sandals of his feet. Act according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray head descend into Sheol in peace. Show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite. 
And let them be among those who eat at your table, because they supported me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Keep an eye on Shammai, son of Gerah, the Benjaminite, from Baharim, who is with you. He uttered malicious curses against me the day I went to Mahanim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan River. And I swore to him by the Lord, I will never kill you with the sword. So don't let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man. You know how to deal with him to bring his gray head down to Sheol with blood. Then David rested with his fathers, was buried in the city of David. The length of time David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom, his kingship was firmly established. There's really five things that I'd like to share from you from this passage. Here's number one. Biblical manhood, we think about this picture of David calling his son uh, Solomon to embrace his role. Biblical manhood recognizes the brevity of life and refuses to waste it. Biblical manhood recognizes the brevity of life and refuses to waste it. It says in this passage, as the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon. As for me, I'm going the way of all of the earth, be strong and be a man. We see this picture of the reality that one out of one people die. David gets to the end of his life here, and he is dying, and he's speaking these last words to his son Solomon. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I'm reminded of James 4.14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We see this picture of the brevity of life. We see David dying in this story. We see scripture telling us that we're appointed to die. Uh, we, we have one life to live and then there's judgment. We see James saying this life is like a, a mist. It's a vapor. I can remember having coffee in my home years and years ago. And I was out of my quiet time. I was in James. And I was reading this passage out of James talking about how we're a mist, how we're a vapor. And I was watching my hot coffee. I was, I was outside and it was cooler and I was watching the steam come up from a coffee cup and it was just vanishing after it got about an inch high. That is our life. Our lives are short. The, the brevity of our life is something that we need to recognize. We need to recognize the brevity of our life. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, the psalmist writes, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop heart wisdom in our hearts. As you think about manhood and your role as a man, you have so much time. You only have so much time. Oftentimes we think that we're going to live, we live like it, we act like we're going to live forever. Man, one of the things you experience as a minister is you experience the reality of death. I have done more funerals than I can count. And one of the realities that you learn as a pastor is that one out of one people die. Everyone comes to a point place where their life is over. You will come to a point place where your life is over and God has given you this moment in time, this dash in history, if you go look at tombstones. This is your time that you have here on earth and it is a short time. I am 52. So as I think about my age being 52, I kind of want to put my life in, in football analogy. And I, I did this years ago. The life expectancy of an average male in the United States is 76 years old. So that's, the life, that's the average life expectancy. Some people live older. Uh, some people don't live quite so long. So if it's 76 years and you divide that into four quarters, that's about 19 years each. 
So, so each quarter is about 19 years if you did the math on that. I have 24 years left if I'm going to die at 76. Hopefully I'll live a little longer. I've got 24 years left. I'm in the third quarter, and I, I see the fourth quarter. I see the, the, the clock ticking, and I see the time that's coming in the fourth quarter. I just want to encourage you, as a man in this room, oftentimes we forget how short our life is. Don't waste your life. Don't waste the opportunity God has given you to lead your home, to lead your children. Don't miss the opportunity God's given you to manifest biblical manhood and leadership in your life. And man, what a spectrum of people in here. We've got young, we've got middle-aged, and we've got older in here. If, if you're in here and you're older and you're sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm at the end of the rope anyway, I want to encourage you, you need to take your life and invest in somebody younger. For all, if, I want you to stand up if you're over 70 in this room. Stand up. If you're over 70, stand up. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but you got to be in If you're over 70, stand up. There we go. You guys give these men a hand for number one. You men, they're number seven. Have a seat. Everybody in this room that saw those men, if I were you, I would be going asking them how they got to seven. I'd want to go spend time with them. I'd want to go learn from them. And if you're here and you're 70, you are over, you ought to be looking if you're 60 or over. You ought to be looking at how you can pour into somebody younger than you. That you would share about all that God's done in your life. If you're here, I'm assuming you know Jesus. And you would share about your own life, your own journey. What God has done in your life, your testimony. Your life is short. And sometimes we forget and we miss how short our life is. David's at the end of his life. He is dying. And here's the reality. He's going the way of all the earth, as the ESV says. You are going to go the way of all the earth. And you are going to die. Don't waste your life by living this American dream that never measures up, that you can never achieve, that, that will never, ever be anything in the end. The American dream will die, and the kingdom dream lives forever. The only dream that will last forever is what Jesus says about the kingdom of God. He is the king of his kingdom. One day he will establish his kingdom. He will rule and reign forever in that kingdom. And the only way you get to be in that so, friend, I want to encourage you, don't waste your life building your life, building your dream about something that will not last. Build your life and build your dreams around King Jesus and recognize your life is so, so very, very short. One of the quotes uh, that I have read and loved is by Harvey McKay. He says this, time is free, but it is priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you can never get it back. May it be that you spend your time wisely on the things that matter. Life is short. The brevity of life is real. And friends, you need to embrace the opportunity you have to live for the glory of God as a man who manifests God's kingdom here on earth in the day and time he's given you. Oh, friends, don't waste your life. Here's the second thing I'll give you from the text. Biblical manhood is a journey to a destination. Biblical manhood is a journey to a destination. The text says in verse 2, be a man. Some of the translations say, show yourself to be a man. This particular translation in the CSB says, be strong and be a man. Biblical manhood is a journey to a destination. You are going somewhere in manhood. 
as I think about my boys, so I got three boys, and I've always used this language of telling them, you're going to be on the road to manhood soon. Uh, like when they get to seven or eight, I'll start using that type of language. Reuben, my youngest, has, hey, Dad, I am on the road to manhood, right? And I go, yes, sir, you are on the road to manhood. He goes, am I man yet? I go, no, you're not, but you're on the road to manhood. I want my children to visualize manhood as a destination to get to. We talk about this at my house. I want them to have a mental picture of taking a journey to a destination. I want them to realize that manhood is a destination that God has called them to. Man, listen, we're living in a time where in the public setting that we're in right now, there's incredible confusion about this. So if you don't know outside these walls, I know you do, there's incredible confusion on gender. You can be any gender you want today. Uh, emotions and empathy have overridden science and common sense. We have a word used called gender dysphoria. Dad, you have to be clear here. There can be no confusion. David's calling his son. He doesn't use the word in Hebrew that denotes what it means to be a woman. He uses the word in Hebrew what denotes to be a man. He's telling his son Solomon, you need to embrace your role specifically in a, in a gender-specific way as a man. Be strong and be a man. The destination to manhood uh, is a specific biblical picture that we have. And we have Solomon telling his son, be strong and be courageous. We have Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. As I think through just raising my family, raising my boys early uh, in, in their journey, early uh, in our parenting, Joy and I, we wanted to make sure that as parents, we weren't asking our children to be something we weren't defined. And we believe the Bible had, had a lot of good pictures, a lot of, of good information for us to determine the definition of manhood. I've got a definition in your notes for manhood that I've just pieced together over the years. I've actually I've tweaked it a couple of times because there's some things that I left out that I thought I needed to add. And this is what I want to encourage you to realize in manhood being a destination. If you don't have something to aim for, if you don't have something to aim for, you're going to miss the mark. If you don't have something to aim for, miss the mark. And your, your definition for manhood needs to be scripture saturated. It needs to make sure you need to make sure that what you're calling your kids to do in biblical manhood, it reflects a biblical worldview. And this is something that I've used with my boys uh, since they were young. And our biblical manhood definition goes like this. A biblical man rejects passivity. I think a man ought to be somebody uh, that's, that's not passive. It accepts responsibility. Uh, we live in a day and time where we skirt responsibility. And, and we tell people that's not our fault. I want manhood and my children to reflect and embracing, accepting responsibility. Lives courageously and compassionately on mission with Christ. One of the things we're going to unpack today is manhood is just not this idea of being Captain Caveman. Men ought to be compassionate. Men ought to be kind. Men ought to be like Jesus. One of the things manhood ought to demonstrate is the character of Christ. And we're going to unpack that in our time together today. I want my boys to be courageous, but I want my boys to be compassionate. Jesus was compassionate over and over in the New Testament. I want my boys to model that. I want them to be on mission with Christ by leading boldly and honorably. I actually changed the honorably part about five years ago. And I changed the honorably part because there was so much happening culturally where men were doing and, and, and being called out unrightfully and the news was just so full of, of men that were being dishonorable to women. My boys need to live an honorable life and they need to be honorable towards women. That'll be part of their manhood journey is to live an honorable life for the glory of God, the advancement of the gospel, modeling and manifesting the kingdom of Jesus here on earth. Man, I know that's a mouthful, isn't it? Amen? But you know what my boys know? Man, they're not out there 
my, my son Isaac even has used this and discipling some guys that he's with now in college. This is something that's, that's been incredibly influential in their life. And you as a dad are calling your son to be a man and you don't know what that means. Then you're, you're doing a disservice to your son. I would encourage you to recognize what the Bible calls a man to be. And in your own way, in your own language, have a way that you shape and form your children and tell them what that looks like. The great philosopher Yogi Berra said this, If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. Think about that for a minute. If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. I want my boys to know where they're going. And I want them to know where they end up. This is what it is. The end of this definition, the end of this destination looks like this. The end of this destination looks like this. May it be that we know what that is. And friends, man, I don't want to give you all the quotes. I used to have a section here just to talk about the current stats of how young people view gender. And they would scare you. You better make for sure you know this, men. Outside these walls, everybody's telling a lot of people are telling. Your children, that there's a different definition of gender. There's a different definition of womanhood, and there's a different definition of manhood. And they're getting that. They're being discipled in that. You have to be able to communicate, this is what Scripture says, and this is what the Bible says. Here's number three. Biblical manhood models a commitment to and love for God's Word. Biblical manhood models a commitment to and love for God's Word. The ESV says this, David says to Solomon, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not like a man on the throne of Israel. There's several words that are used there to describe the word of God. He uses his ways, his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies. All of those are pictures. All of those are a reference to the word of God. Solomon's call, David's calling, calling Solomon to remember the word of the Lord in his life. You see that picture, and I think about my years of ministry. Somebody asked me a moment ago when I came in here, how long have I been doing this? I said, 30 years. I started preaching when I was 19. I found my first sermon uh, I, years ago, and I have it in a file at my, at my house. It's a little handwritten sermon. Uh, praise the Lord that that church didn't uh, immediately just run me out of town. Amen. I looked at what I preached that day. Most of it was good, but it was a little of it was really, really awful. So 19, I've been doing this stuff for a while, 30 years. And in 30 years, one of the things I've done is I have counseled and mentored a lot of boys, young men, and, and men. I've counseled and mentored a lot of young men and grown men during my 30 years of ministry. And these are, these are statements that I've heard over 30 years. I never saw my dad cry. I never heard my dad say, I'm sorry. I never heard my dad ask for forgiveness. I never saw my dad worship the Lord. I never saw my dad touch a Bible, much less read a Bible. Solomon is called by David to love God's Word. And how can the Holy Spirit of God live in a man who has no love for the Word of God? Manhood 
models a commitment to and love for God's Word. I have a row of journals in my office. I started journaling in 1998. No, I did not 1998. I started journaling in 1992. And I've got journals in my office back to 1992. And each year, I try to buy a journal. I've got a journal in my backpack right there for this year. And one of the things I've tried to do since 1992 is I don't journal every day. I don't, of which I could every day, I don't, but I try to journal a couple times a week about what I'm reading in the Word of the Lord. Uh, just coming out of Proverbs and Romans, so I try to just jot down some things I'm reading, and I, at the end of the year, I'll take that journal, and I'll put it on my shelf. And i got I got a long line since 1992 of journals. And one of the things that I want to pass on to my kids is that they remember that they had an imperfect dad, which they know that very well. But they had a dad who loved the Lord and he loved God's Word. And I want them to split up my journals when I die. I already know. In fact, my daughter was in my office the other day and she likes the journals for what they look like. And she was picking out the journals she wanted and I said, well, I'm not dead yet. Calm down, sweetheart. She'd talk about the journals she wanted again. Now I want to encourage you. Modeling biblical manhood is a man who loves God's Word and spends time in God's Word. And I want to encourage you that you would be a man who's disciplined enough to do that. We're disciplined in so many things, but so often we're not disciplined in the Word of God and in loving God and worshiping Him in His Word and through His Word. My grandmother passed away a long time ago. She, she loved the Lord. I have her Bible. It sits in my office. And I open it up every once in a while. She wrote it all over her Bible. And we called her Grand Nanny. Amen. Granny, long and gone, she's been worshiping Jesus for a minute. And I can open up Granny's Bible, and there's times in it where I'll read a specific place where Granny's praying for Jesus. And she's praying for God to do things in Georgia's life. And listen, Granny's long gone, but her faith still speaks. I want to encourage you to be a man who loves God's Word and lives God's Word. Make your kids know that you love God's Word. May your faith speak to the fact that you love God's Word. Here's Solomon's memory of David, by the way. You can find Solomon writes about this in Proverbs chapter 4. In Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon's writing to his kids. He says this, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. In Proverbs 4, Solomon was reflecting on his dad, David, teaching him the word of the Lord. And that is what he remembers and that is what he records. I think about people that have influenced my life greatly. And it's been men who have loved God and loved his word. I think about uh, Eddie Dye, who I grew up, he, he, my father didn't read the word, my, God, my dad didn't go to church, praise the Lord for a godly mom, my dad didn't, but God placed a godly man in my life, his name was Eddie Dye, he's my best friend's dad, he loved the word of God, he loved the local church, I can remember the first time I was at their house uh, as a young teenager, and Eddie Dye prayed, I'll never forget this, I opened my eyes in the room because I thought somebody else was there. He was talking to Jesus like he was right there. I'd never heard a grown man do anything like that. I'm 52 today. I was probably 12 when that happened, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember walking down those stairs and watching Eddie Dyer read his Bible. He'd have a yellow legal pad and a Bible open with a pen taken up. He was the first grown man I ever saw read a Bible. I think about 
about George Jackson, a pastor in Helena, Montana. He'll never write a book. He'll never be on a podcast. He's a pastor that had three jobs. He's a tri-vocational pastor. I lived in Montana for a year, just moved up there on a whim when I was younger in college, one of those things you do. And I got to a church called Helena Valley Baptist, showed up one day. This pastor, his family took me in, gave me keys to their house, their car. He read the Bible, loved his wife, loved his kids, served his church, delivered potato chips during the day on a 400-mile route, cleaned out gyms at night. He did all these things, and he didn't neglect his walk with the Lord, neglect his family, or neglect his kids. He shamed me more than any other person I know during that season of life. We'll never have a, a, a huge following. We'll, we'll never be one of these people that's on a podcast or are revered because of what they're writing. But he was faithful, and he loved God. He loved his family. He loved his kids. Now think about my father-in-law right now, who, who's he's retired, who's pastor emeritus at the church he served for over 25 years. I can remember him leaving a staff meetings when I served on staff with him to, to go make sure that his wife needed something and his daughters needed to got taken care of over a situation. He loved the Lord. He loved his family. And he didn't neglect them. And he loved God's word. Those are the type of men I'm standing here today telling you I'm who I am today because of men like that who love God's word, who are faithful, and who live that out in their life. Friends, you need to model that. You need to model that in such a way that you call your children to model that. Here's the fourth thing I would give you. Biblical manhood embraces leadership. Biblical manhood embraces leadership. A little bit of a gory part of the story. David essentially is telling Solomon that he needs to take care of some business. That's what he's saying in these passages. One author says this. While manhood requires obedience to God, there's a particular context in which this will be worked out. In other words, the way in which Solomon is to work out his commitment to God will be particularly masculine, the author writes. It's going to be in the context of leading, providing, and protecting. In verses 5 through 9, Joab's unlawful killing of two of David's commanders is going to require a response from Solomon that involves avenging this act. Solomon is also going to have to protect and provide for the sons of Barzillia since they took care of David when he was running from Absalom. Finally, he's instructed to arrange a bloody death for Shammai. We see in this picture, good, bad, and ugly, the responsibility Solomon was going to have to lead. David essentially says, buddy, you're it, and you have to lead. And this is what you need to do in the context of the leadership that you now need to embrace. J. Oswald Sanders, in his book, Spiritual Leadership, writes this, the church is painfully in need of leaders. He quotes William Sangster. I wait to hear a voice and no one comes. I would rather listen than speak, but there's no clarion voice to listen to. We're in a desperate need for leadership. I've got three definitions of leadership I'll give you. Here's, here they are. Here's number one. Authority without leadership is like an engine without a car body to contain it. It's useless. Authority without leadership is like an engine without a car body to contain it. It's useless. Here's one of the things that we get confused about. Sometimes you think that you're an authority just because you're a male. That is the wrong way to look at it. God has given authority in Scripture. He's given authority to His church. He's given authority to leaders of the church. He's given authority to the home. He's given authority to men. I believe that. But friends, if you're just looking that you're an authority and people ought to follow you because you're an authority, that is not how you should look at authority and leadership. You should be a leader. And unless you're a leading, your authority is useless. Unless you're leading, your authority is useless. Leadership is the courage to make the right decision for the glory of God. This is the definition of leadership I use with my kids. 
I pinned this down years ago. So here's the definition of leadership I use with my kids. Leadership is the courage to make the right decision for the glory of God. I use that decision for this reason. I talk a lot about gospel confidence and gospel courage to my children. We'll unpack that later today. But I want my kids to recognize leadership is, is courage. It's courage to make the right decision for the glory of God. And sometimes in that leadership, it means that you might be standing alone. It might be that you have to lead in such a way that you're making the right decision for the glory of God and nobody is with you. But you're going to have to still do it because God's glory is at stake. And God's word has been clear. Leadership is the courage to make the right decision for the glory of God. We need to help our children understand that we need to lead in such a way that manifests leadership. Henry Blackaby gives this definition in his book, Spiritual Leadership. He says, spiritual leadership is moving people onto God's agenda. What a great picture we can embrace as men. What if we embrace the picture of that leadership, of moving our family, moving our children onto God's agenda? See this picture of leadership, of taking responsibility. And in this story, Solomon had to embrace his leadership that was entrusted to him. Here's the last thing I would give you. Biblical mandate is defined by the finished work and future work of the perfect king. Biblical mandate is defined by the finished work and the future work of the perfect king. As we think about manhood for the rest of the time we're here. One of the things we're going to do is really unpack what this vision of manhood looks like in light of what Christ has done for us. Biblical manhood is defined by the finished and future work of the perfect king. It says that David died, he slept with his fathers, his kingdom was firmly established. We're always reminded, if we just focused on David and Solomon's kingdom, we would be let down. Hear me. If we just focused on David's and Solomon's kingdom, we'd be let down. Ultimately, David's earthly physical kingdom came to an end and it was a failure. Ultimately, his physical earthly kingdom came to an end and it was a failure. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. That king is Jesus. David's kingdom is a reminder that God's promises cannot be stopped. David's kingdom is a reminder that his promises from God that his kingdom would last forever and ever was Jesus coming through his lineage, Jesus coming through his line. When we think about manhood, we think about the reality of the finished work of Jesus. And we think about the reality of the future work of Jesus. Jesus is coming back again one day. So I'll close out with this. Here's three things for you. As we leave today and we jump into this afternoon, I want to think about gospel-centered manhood. So as we leave here this morning, we jump into this, this afternoon, I want to think about gospel-centered manhood. Here's three things the gospel reminds us of this morning. Here's number one. As we think about gospel-centered manhood, this idea of embracing manhood, this picture of David calling Solomon to be a man, three things about gospel-centered manhood. Here's number one. The gospel informs us. As we think about this journey that we're on for manhood, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is what informs us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you,
you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Because of the Gospel, we have hope. Our fallen sin problem has been defeated in Jesus. Jesus got out of the grave. Jesus uh, is in heaven. Jesus is coming back again one day. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that informs our manhood. Because sometimes, in conferences like this, it's like, how in the world do I do this? How in the world can I be what God's called me to be in the day and time that I live in? Friends, the reason we're able to do this is because of what Jesus has done for us. And when we look at manhood, we start at the reality that Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He went to the grave. He was resurrected from the grave. He ascended to heaven. And he's coming back again one day. That gospel message is what informs us about manhood. Here's the second thing I'll give you. The gospel informs us. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But the gospel also transforms us. Not only are we informed by the work and the person of Jesus Christ as we think about manhood... We recognize that this that gospel message that has changed us, that's transformed us. You know, it's it's a future hope. It's this a picture of a physical resurrection we're going to get one day. One day there's going to be a, a physical resurrection. Jesus is uh, going to come back. Uh, the dead in Christ will rise. There'll be a physical resurrection for God's people one day. But that's a future hope. The present hope is that there is a spiritual resurrection. When we repent and believe in Jesus, we are no longer dead uh, to God. We, we are no longer mastered by sin. There's a future picture that's going to come of hope one day, of a future physical resurrection. But friends, there's also the present real resurrection that we have right now. That real resurrection that Jesus has made us new. He's transformed us. It's that picture of baptism, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, the great news about that, the great news about the gospel transforming us, listen to me. The great news about the gospel is your family, past history, doesn't define you. You're not destined to be a bad dad if you had bad dads. If you had a bad earthly father, I got news for you, you got a good heavenly father. He not only loves you, he likes you. In Christ, you have a perfect heavenly father to look to. And you have the Holy Spirit living in you. John Newton said this, I'm not what I ought to be, I'm not what I want to be, I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still I'm not what I once used to be. And by God's grace, I am what I am. The gospel informs us, the gospel has transformed us. We're not who we used to be. Can you say amen? Amen. And, and not only that, the gospel conforms us, and I'll leave you with this. When we think about manhood, we think about the gospel informing us, we think about the gospel transforming us, friends, we've got to remember the gospel conforms us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The reality of manhood is this. Because of Jesus, the gospel informs us. The gospel transforms us. We're not who we used to be. And friends, the gospel conforms us. And this is what will launch out into the rest of the day. That vision and that picture of manhood should uniquely be a picture of who Christ is and what he does. Men are called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Believers are called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. If the gospel has informed your life, the gospel has transformed your life. And if the gospel has transformed your life, friends, we ought to be growing and looking more like Jesus each and every day. That your kids see Christ in you more today than they did yesterday. That your wife sees Christ in you more today than she did yesterday. The call and vision for manhood, uh, it's not toxic. The call and vision for manhood 
is that we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. And may we launch into that today and may God use that today that we would lead uh, here after uh, the sessions that we have embracing our responsibility to be biblical men that are informed by the gospel, transformed by the gospel, and conformed to the gospel. Father, I pray for these men, and Lord, I pray for our time together. Lord, I pray for our message that we're about to hear out of Zechariah chapter 3. Lord, about worth and value, because Father, sometimes in a setting like this, Lord, we step into this room, and the devil is speaking lies to us, and all we think about, Lord, is where we fall short. God, I pray for these men that that would not be the words that they hear today. God, I pray these men would recognize, Lord, how much you love them. Father, you've loved them so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for their sins. God, the, the gospel is the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in our place. And God, you are satisfied with what he's done for us on the cross. God, you love us as your children. And God, you call us into relationship with you. And God, you call us into obedience. And God, uh, you give us all we need to the heavenly presence of the Spirit in our lives. So Father, I pray for these men. God, they wouldn't believe the lies of the kingdom of darkness or the lies of this culture. But God, they would know who they are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we would leave here today. God, we would leave here today recognizing that life is short. Recognizing that as men, we need to be committed to your word. Recognizing, Lord, as, as men, we have a responsibility in our life of leadership. And, Lord, we would just embrace those things, Lord, with a view, God, of recognizing that those things need to be done in such a way that we are manifesting and being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, ultimately, God, our testimony as men is, Lord Jesus, how we look like you. And we pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified as you do some sanctifying work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.